Welcome to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. I have the wonderful pleasure of being able to interview Miss Gloria Figueroa. She's also my mom. She's been re been requested by many people over the last year, but I have my friend, good friend Jessica, has been been telling me you got to have your mom on. You got to have your mom on. She's raised nine kids, a family of eleven and open. I want to hear all about her life and how she was able to manage. Uh, all those children and, and raising all those children, especially in the difficult economic times that you were doing that, uh, Miss Figueroa. So I guess some people call you Miss Gloria. Is that correct? I suppose, yes. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here, Mom. And I, I think we just we talked about this already. You raised nine kids and, uh, and you're raising a lot of grandkids, too. So um, I want to ask you, where were you born and raised? I was born in Oakland, California, and I am still here. So, how many years is it? How many years you've been in Oakland? I've been here eighty-seven years. And can you tell me about how your family got to Oakland? Yes, my my grandparents are from Mexico. My uh, they were from Mexico City. They had a family of nine children, and um, and at the time, my mother was seventeen. She was kind of in the middle age uh, of the um, of the seven children she was kind of in the middle at 17 and uh, so at that time Mexico was going through a period of their history um, that um, the president of um, President Caius was an atheist and he was persecuting the church and also targeting businessmen my grandfather happened to have a large soap factory and he knew that the handwriting was on the wall that they would be after him soon and he didn't want to be having uh, to look over his shoulder and having his family be in fear of uh, of um of any possibility of being kidnapped or or persecuted so uh he decided to uh that he was going to close his factory he closed his home um he had his children um, take very little with them. He was going to bring seven of the nine children with him. Two were already married and established, and they didn't want to leave Mexico. So uh, the seven children had to wear four layers of clothes, and and they could bring something small, personal with them, and uh, they had to keep everything very uh, low-keyed. So um, my father hired a man to... Uh, uh, to put wood sides and a and a top on a flatbed truck, he had the uh, he had his family lay face down um, in the uh, truck as they went through the city of Mexico City. At that time, this was a time of Pancho Villa and Zapata, and it was pretty wild in the streets with with shooting. And uh, so they went through the main part of Mexico City and on the outskirts of Mexico City. Then they pulled over and uh, he wanted to check that everybody was doing fine. And um, lo and behold, they all had sawdust all over the, their, the back of their heads because of the bullets that went through the sides of the, uh, the wood sides of the truck. And so they made their way to a family in Oakland, California, which was the only family that my grandparents knew of in the United States. So that's how they came to Oakland. They, um, they stayed with the family, and that family encouraged them to um, 
uh, enroll in night school because to learn English was very, very important if they were going to uh, find work and, uh, and to be able to be part of the society here. So um, they all enrolled in night school and um, my grandfather found a home in West Oakland uh, for his family. And uh, that's where my mother and father met. My father was also attending night school uh, also to improve his life by learning English so he could get better jobs. So, um, and so when he asked her for a date in uh, the custom of like you are in Mexico, when you asked a person on a date, you, you had to date the whole family. So when my father saved enough money to take uh, my, his bride-to-be to the movies, he had to, he had to take the, he had to treat the whole family and he didn't even get to sit next to her in the theater. <laughs> a, very, a very large uh, future mother-in-law sat between them. <laughs> so, uh, but um, in time, he was able to propose to her uh, in Lake Merritt in a little rowboat. He paid one of his friends to row the boat while he so he could propose to my mother. So that's where the life of, of the Palos family began. And um, yeah, so it was, uh, um, they really appreciated being here in the United States. They really appreciated and they were eager to learn English so they could uh, earn a living. And then how many brothers and sisters did you have? I had four older brothers. So what was life like growing up in Oakland during that time period? Uh, was it difficult for your family, all of your family? I know I know some of your brothers went to um, were in World War II. So, um, My parents got married during Depression time, 1923. So that was Depression time. That was hard for everybody. So I know they rented homes in, in West Oakland. They started. And the first home that I was aware of, they were able to buy a small home in um, in um, Emeryville, and at that time that was an unincorporated, unincorporated area, and a very swampy, a lot of factories, warehouses, shipyards um, nearby, and uh, but a very small house, three bedroom home, um, but very small house, uh, big backyard, but very small house, so uh, three bedrooms. Uh, that my parents occupied one, two brothers shared another, the other two shared another, and I always slept in the dining room on a day couch. So um, so we stayed there until I was about six, and, um, and then they moved to another part of North Oakland, and, um, and uh, so I started public school uh, and I went to public school nearby until I was second grade. My mother had me on a waiting list to enter a Catholic school that was uh, uh, downtown in the middle of Oakland. And so, um, so they contacted her. They had an opening. So I started Catholic school in third grade. And, uh, and that's also uh, was very close to the lake. And um, so that was the beginning of, and I know it was a great sacrifice for them. It was a great sacrifice for them. Um, and then during the, uh, during the war years, my older brothers, one went to McClyman's high school. He was 18. The other brother was a year younger, a junior. And, uh, one day my, uh, after Pearl Harbor, my 18 year old brother came home and informed my parents that he joined the army. 
And uh, so he uh, went straight out of high school. And so his younger brother uh, fought, wanted to follow suit. So he begged my parents uh, for a signature. The 18-year-old could, could join without a signature of the parent. But my 17-year-old brother, a junior in high school, um, he begged and begged for about three weeks. Finally, they, they relented and, and they said, um, you can join the service, but please don't join the army, join another branch of the service. So he joined the Navy. So, uh, so two boys were gone. And, um, so, uh, we had no idea where they were. Uh, in the meantime, there was food rationing. We had tokens for sugar, uh, how much for per family. Um, we had to make um, butter kind of like a, out of a square of lard with a, with a little chip of food coloring and um, to make it look like butter. Um, and so um, we also had a, a large victory garden. I was very grateful that my father had some farming and ranch experience because he turned our backyard into a, a beautiful vegetable garden and we shared with all our neighbors in the neighborhood and and almost everybody in our neighborhood had one and we exchanged we exchanged vegetables and fruit with one another and uh, it was a very sharing time the community the neighborhoods were very close-knit uh, we cared about each other um, and um, our next door neighbors were just a retired family so they gave us food coupons because they didn't need so much for two people and they gave us extra so that we could have for our family of five or actually, yes, of five, uh, of seven rather. So, um, yeah, those days were, were, uh, hard for everybody. They were hard hey, for well, everybody. I, I know, I know your parents and, um, I, I know both of your parents were working class and, um, so I know it was difficult growing up and I know a lot of your brothers went on to college or, you know, they went into different, when they finished the military. But um, I know that, you know, two of your brothers, your parents didn't know where they were at. And, and then right. one, they hadn't heard from them for, I'm, I'm not sure how long. And, um, but we then how, how, how did you, how did you find, how did you, how did your parents well, find we, out where they we were We would at? receive letters, but it would be either cut out if there was any hint of where they were or their location, it was blacked out was like Indian black ink. So we really didn't know um, where they were. And one day, um, at that time, the Oakland newspaper was called the, uh, the um, not, it wasn't the Tribune, it was, the, uh, it was another, another uh, newspaper, and uh, uh, the Post Inquirer. Uh, the newspaper came to our house, and there was a big picture, a large picture, black and white, of my two brothers and they were looking at one another and their arm was over each other's shoulders and it said Oakland boys meet in New Guinea in Papua New Guinea so that was the first that we knew where they were and then we started thinking where is New Guinea and where is Papua New, New Guinea so they were actually defending Australia and uh, so uh, uh, my brother told me the one in the army he was, he was leaning against a tree, resting, and he heard that, that a landing barge had come. The Navy was landing on a landing barge, and the Navy were coming. And who would be coming in front of him on the path was his brother. 
And so that was just that was just a view a beautiful, uplifting coincidence uh, for my parents. It was uh, they were so relieved that they were okay and that they got to see one another. And then and what was I think the most amazing thing is they weren't in the same branch of service and that they would be there in Papua New Guinea. And uh, so uh, people would send my, the clippings of the newspapers, strangers would send it to my parents' home and congratulations. We're so happy that you know where your boys are safe and please pray for our boys who are in the service, that kind of thing. So we had a lot of newspaper clippings coming from strangers. And uh, so, so that um, was a real, real highlight for us. When you were growing up, um, what was school like for you? Yeah, I know you went to a Catholic school. Yeah, I went to public what school, school like till third you? grade. And then, and what was what was school like for you? Were you always interested in school? Um, what were your kind of goals growing up? Because I know your interests are very varied now. You, you like I know you really really enjoy reading and you like. I think, I mean, you play instruments and you've always been pretty varied in your interests. Um, even now you like documentaries and you're always reading a book. What were some of your interests growing up? And when you, if you think back at the time, what were kind of your goals and what did you want to do when you, when you finished high school? Yeah, I think, uh, um, I think I fell in love with reading pretty quick, even in public school because they had a library and I, to walk into a room with all those books and, and the pretty covers on the books and, and um, that, uh, and we were able to bring the books home. And I just remember taking such good care of them because my mother said, they're not our property. They belong to the school, but I, I love reading the stories that I did. And then when I went to Catholic school, um, which was downtown Oakland, and there was a library, I would say maybe 10, 15 blocks away a librarian would come to the school and she would go from class to class with books appropriate for the class that we're in. And she would read us a little bit of the book and said, if you want to know the ending, I want to see you at, at our library. So all of us would run so that we could get a copy and find out the, uh, you know, the rest of the story. So uh, I think that that always, made all of us interested in reading and, uh, and it was encouraged. And so that was, uh, that was an interesting thing when I was going to Catholic school. Um, we were taught also the respect, you know, respect was a big thing in school, you know, um, also they would let us know that that respect, not only for the teachers, but, but when we go home to our parents, you know, and for our brothers and sisters. And so, um, you know, so they, they showed us that respect was a big thing in, in our society. Another interesting thing, I think, was uh, Bank of America would have somebody come once a week. They gave us a little bank book, a little brown envelope with a little string on it. And they said, now, you have, you're going to have an account. Have your parents fill this paper. And I'm going to come once a week. Even if you just bring a nickel, we're going to record it. So that really started to teach us how to start saving. And uh, I thought it was a, a very interesting thing that the bank, I'm sure that they, and I stayed with Bank of America all these years until about two years ago. But, but, uh, but I thought it was an interesting thing to teach children 
that at that age, you know, so I was very proud I had a bank account. And um, so, uh, yeah, and yeah, and I and it was a small school, so it was very personal. Um, uh, I, I was glad that it was a small school. I felt very comfortable, made good friends with all our classmates. Uh, yeah, we were all very close to each other. And I know and some of the you're, much you're, all of the of same your... economical back economic you know background, so we were all kind of on the same level of of uh, the way our families were raised. And I know some of you still have some of your high school classmates are still best friends, and you still get together yes. for lunch on occasion. Um, and that's been a tradition for how long? How long have you? How long has that group been together? I went to high school um, in 1950 to 1954. Uh, 1950, my parents moved to East Oakland, and they wanted to be near a Catholic school. The closest they could get was 18 blocks away, and that's the home that I reside in now. Um, and and um, so uh, again, a small Catholic school. So it was. Uh, it just felt like family. My grammar school felt like family. My high school felt like family. And to this day, I still meet with uh, uh, my, some of my classmates about every three months. Um, and uh, and we, share, we share a lot of good memories. So let's skip to when you met, you know, when you started your own family. And how old were you when you met your husband? And... At the time, did you were you thinking I'm going to have nine kids? Because you raised nine kids, you were a stay-at-home mom most of the time. And then you, you started working at the later portion, the later part of your career. But um, what made you, when you got married? Were you thinking I'm going to have nine kids? Well, you know, uh, even as uh, I think I started babysitting in our neighborhood at 13, and I really enjoyed it. I used to babysit for neighbors, and uh, and then. Um, and then um, I had a, a little job when I was in high school. After high school, I went to work at a restaurant with a girlfriend. Her dad had a little restaurant in, in San Leandro. So we, we had permission to leave school about 15 minutes earlier so we could hop the bus. I mean, yeah, hop the bus and uh, go to work. And um, there I met a lot of nice people. And they even asked if I could babysit their children like on, 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 uh, on the weekends. So I did a lot of babysitting, and I really enjoyed it. And um, and at one point, and maybe when I was 15 or 16, I always thought I would like to work maybe at an orphanage. I'd like to work around children, and uh, so uh, so I think the I think I was always comfortable with with uh, being being with uh, numbers of children. So when did you get married, and then? I guess you know you met you met your husband when how old were you at the time and I was and I was then, nineteen I was nineteen when I met him and he already had been uh, out of the service he he was in the Korean War he was already out of the service and working he was uh, pretty much already established and uh, had a good reliable job and uh, um, so we dated and uh, kind of knew it it clicked pretty quickly and. Um, uh, and he also, he was from a family of 11 children. So uh, when it came to talking about marriage and, and family size, we always planned on a big family. We, we knew the, the blessings. There were a lot of wonderful things about uh, being raised in a big family. 
So how old were you when you had your first child? I and was then, 22. You were 22. 22 then, years old, yes. And then subsequent kids, uh, was that a, a spacing of a year apart or what was it? What was that? What was that like? Yeah, the first four were pretty much a year apart. And uh, um, with, when I was expecting our first baby, um, we were we were living in an, in an apartment and uh, here in Oakland, about uh, maybe 20 blocks away from where my parents lived and, and, and my in-laws, again, about 20 blocks away. And so uh, when we were looking for a larger apartment, as soon as they saw that I was expecting, they said, no, we don't want to rent because the babies will be crying and there'll be a disturbance to uh to other people in the apartment so my parents said instead of looking for it, why don't you come and stay with us it was just my parents two-story house they said you can have the upstairs and, and save your money so you can buy a home so we did i had the baby while we were living with my parents and then uh, we were saving up for a home and when my son was about uh maybe a year and a half uh then my husband used his GI loan and we bought a home in Fremont California and at that time they were building suburbs uh, there in Fremont so uh, we were able to move there and we stayed there for five years and uh, but we never so quite many, felt it at, in the suburbs. How many kids at that point how many kids did you have? I had four and I so had four children and you were a stay-at-home mom so how was it managing Four, four kids, one year apart. And I know that you had some people that told you this because you brought. We've had this discussion before um, that there was a significant amount, or a lot of people would say to you or kind of criticize that you're having this many yeah. kids. What was that like for you? And then how was it? How did you manage four kids by yourself? I mean, I I, I will stay. I stayed busy. Um, the nice thing about the four children being so close in age is that they become each other's playmates pretty quick. And um, I always uh, have mentioned to my son that I, I, my oldest son, that he probably robbed him of his childhood because he helped me so much with the three other children behind him. I don't think he got to be a kid very long. He was even folding his diapers when he was still in diapers. I taught him how to fold cloth diapers. So... But he was a, his temperament. Thank goodness was easygoing. He never he never complained. He he would play with his little brothers and bring toys or uh, go get them another bottle of milk. Or he was he was just my little right hand all the time. And um, so when he attend he attended kindergarten and first grade um, while we were in Fremont. And then um, my husband was commuting to Oakland to work. So we decided, you know, we need to move back into Oakland. Um, my husband said, your parents are older and by themselves. My parents are older, he said, and by themselves, just a few blocks apart. I think we need to be in Oakland. So, 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 um, that, so, so that's when you bought the home, your, your, your parents' home in Oakland. And so when you transition to the home in Oakland, how, how much... After that, did you have the other five kids? Yeah, then we uh, we were here. Uh, let's see, 
I think I think about three years maybe went by, and then this little boy named Martin was born, and then that started the next <laughs> the next group of children that were two years apart <laughs> until we had the nine. <laughs> till we had okay, full so, house. So, how did you deal with the? I guess there's a couple of things. A couple of questions. How did you deal with the, the the critiques? I guess you had from people saying, "Why are you having so many kids?" And and what was going through your mind when you at, at any one of these at any time did you think to yourself, "Is this too much for me to manage?" Or, you know, was it overwhelming for you? No, it, it would hurt our feelings certainly when people. I think my husband went more through that. He would come home and tell me what the men would say, and and they weren't kind. You know, some men were very sarcastic and and uh, would rub it in that say oh when I go home uh, I don't have any I don't have to do anything my my wife has my meal ready I don't have any kids bothering us so we can go out when we want and I mean they kind of rubbed it in and my husband would tell me about it and I know it hurt his feelings but but he would just say you know I have my life and my wife and I are the ones that are raising my children so this is what we want to do. So he always kind of zeroed in on that is what well, it was our will to have a, a large family. And, and somehow, you know, uh, we would, we were, uh, we had a lot of loving, supporting friends too, you know, everybody had big families in our neighborhood. <laughs> we were certainly not the only ones. So what was it like? It must've just been like, crazy at any at some point having nine kids and raising nine kids at one time how was it managing all the personalities because you had such an age range you had an age range a pretty large age range how was it to manage all those personalities and everybody's kind of going through different different stages at different times how was it managing those and how did you manage all those personalities and then manage your relationship with your with a, your husband at the same time well i think when you start having children close in age, you start to learn. I probably wasn't a multitasker when I got married, but you start learning that and it was a necessity. And and then that just kind of became a, a way of life and, and it became easier. Uh, and I also followed the example of my, my parents and the way that I grew up because we all had our assigned little jobs uh, to contribute to the family. You know, some would have dishes, other dry dishes, other ones would mop the floor, vacuum. And so I started implementing that with my children, giving them small responsibility. And it was a help. It was a help. So they help with all the tasks with the house too. It wasn't all on me. And I know that there had to be times where there was people not getting along all the time and how did you how did you manage that? There must have been a lot of a lot of uh, bedlam in the house at, at you know kids running around or arguing or fighting and, and like how did you manage that? And I know a lot of like little crazy things have happened uh, over the years. I, I know there was um, a, a situation where um, one of your daughters had had frogs that got loose and and there was other times when hamsters got loose and hamsters all these different loose. things. Yeah. and you had ant farms going on in the house. How did you manage it? Because you, you didn't, I know you didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, it was always really, really, you were always really cutting it tight. How did you find, how were you able to buy like presents at Christmas time or, or celebrate those holidays where, you know, I know you didn't have money to take people to, 
you know, long trips to go to Disneyland and, and things like that. What did you do to manage all that? And we kept things the- simple. You know, we kept things simple. The children didn't expect, I'm sure, deep in their heart when they wrote their Christmas list <laughs> that they knew they weren't going to get. <laughs> if they wrote 10 things, they probably thought, if we get two of the 10, we're going to be lucky. <laughs> so so they, they already knew not to have big expectations. And that's okay. That That is uh, something that I grew up with, too. We knew... My parents were struggling financially, um, and so we never asked for big things. But in my heart, maybe, I, gee, I would love to have a watch at the age of 14. I would love to have a watch. And, uh, and you know, if it came, fine. And I know for graduation from eighth grade, a watch did suddenly appear. <laughs> so, so, you know, parents know what the children want, and they do what they can. They do what they can. And the kids are grateful for what they got. I just made sure at Christmas that everybody got the same amount of gifts <laughs> so that nobody said, you got seven gifts and I only got five. No, that 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 wasn't going to work. So we made sure that we, everything was even, that, that we played no favorites. And, um, and we tried to encourage every child had a little different interest. My daughter was interested in anything animal. So she's the one that brought the tree frogs and the hamsters, the guinea pig, rabbit, pigeons. We had dogs. We had cats. Uh, yeah, we, we had a menagerie. And, and that was okay. That, that was fine. That taught the children responsibility to keep up with their animals and to feed them. And, so, um, and other children had different interests. My older interested in insects and, and uh, had ant farms and uh, um, so he had a microscope and test tubes, and he enjoyed that. Another one enjoyed a collection of rocks. He was very interested in, in rocks. And so we would go to rock shows downtown and buy his little rocks and so his collection. Uh, we all had stamp collection. Um, and I think, I think, a lot of and geography. I think, I think, I think one, person, one person had an ant farm, right? So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. let me ask you this. I know that you were also involved, that you were a very involved with the church at the same time. So you were managing church activities while having to bring kids to an elementary school and a high school. And you're like juggling all those things. How did you do that? And then how did you motivate um, the kids in your house to focus on school? And, I, and yeah. what were your, what were your goals in some ways? Did you expect everybody to go to college? What were your expectations, I guess? Well, we always knew when we were raising the children that we wanted them to go to Catholic school because we knew that they would be on the same page as the way we want to raise our children. We knew that they would be on the same page of, of teaching our children the same values. So that was our, you know, and that was a big sacrifice um, to be paying tuition. And, and, uh, and, and then once children started going to high school, then I had, um, I had high school uh, you can hear the little fireworks in the background here. Um, then, you know, then the children started having little summer jobs and they helped toward their, uh, toward their little school things that they had. But my husband would volunteer and do uh, bingo nights and that shaved off a little bit of the tuition. Um, he did yard duty on his lunch hour from work. He'd go and and uh, to the grammar school and watch the children while they ate lunch so the teachers could eat lunch. 
So they shaved off a little bit of, of uh, off of our tuition in grammar school. So um, there were ways that uh, we were able to to help with with the kids with their tuition. And then what about like the the anniversaries and your anniversaries with your husband? How did you celebrate those and your date nights you had to have because you probably were like had no time because you're with your kids 24 seven. How did you maintain that? Well, we would laugh because we said, my husband would say, well, we have money to go to a movie, but we won't have the money for a babysitter. So what do we do? You know? So, so, so it hardly ever came together. We had the money for a movie and a babysitter. So, so uh, I remember a priest giving us a, giving us a little, um, uh, a little suggestion. He goes, you know, if you can't afford to go out, he says, he says, then you make sure that you have a date night. You could have it in your home. So Saturday night was our date night. I would feed the kids earlier Saturday, like 4.35 dinner. Then Dad, Richard and I would get dressed up like we were going to go to church. And then we had chicken fried steak, a salad, and a, and a potato, and, and, and a glass of wine, and candlelight in the dining room. And we pushed all the kids in the TV room to watch TV while we had our date night. <laughs> and well, and, and uh, that we could afford. That we could afford. <laughs> well, I have a few questions I have to give you from, from Jessica specifically for you. answered one of them, you know, how was raising so many kids? Uh, you, know, you know, it's very difficult. I think you've spoken about that. Um, I guess one of the other questions, how did you emphasize the importance of education and service. And I know that you got a Mother Seton Award for the service you did in the Oakland community. How did you pass that on, you know, that education was important and that service is important? Well, I made sure, you know, when the, the homework was, um, I made sure that the kids got to do their homework and uh, uh, um, always aim for them learning as much as they could. They had to privilege of going to a private school because that really was a privilege and um and that was emphasized it you know through their teachers the importance of of their education to learn what they can for their future and my husband already say i'm doing everything i can to support you through your grammar school and high school by sending you to a private school he said but college i probably won't be able to help you financially with college because we'll always have somebody in school, uh, you know, still to cover uh, in the high school at the time. So, uh, so that's what we did, and the kids knew that. They knew that Dad said we can, I can help you in any way. Up to that time, I mean, he, if the kids had candy sales, my husband would take the candy to work and sell it to all the co-workers. I think every time they saw him, they go, "What are your kids selling now for the school?" And but. He, you know, he was a, he pitched in, he really pitched in. And I think the kids really appreciated. He had the interest to do that. And uh, so, uh, and then if I did any volunteering, it took a while before I could volunteer anything at school because I was when I had little ones at home. But once my children were all in school, then I was able to be room mother and, and help with the cupcake sales and things that the school involved. I could help a little bit at church. Uh, so it really not until the children were all in school could I really volunteer uh, to do, you know, to do some volunteer work. And I and I liked it. And I think the kids were happy that I was at school showing up and and showing interest in what they were doing. 
And growing up in Oakland, I mean, there's certainly uh, I, one of the things I love about Oakland is so multicultural. I think when when you grow up in Oakland, you certainly have the ability to to get along with all different cult cultures and people from all different backgrounds. But Oakland certainly has its challenges, and um, living in Oakland. And given some of the uh, economic disadvantages that that you had growing up, and the family had growing up, how did you how did you encourage the kids in your family to like pursue education and to overcome that to, to not allow that to to uh, stop them from succeeding? Well, I think I think uh, I think what was nice about our neighborhood was that. All our families, if my children were playing at another neighbor's house and if somebody misbehaved or, you know, I knew that mother would call me and, and would let me know. And they knew that I would do the same. So we were kind of, it's kind of like it says it takes a village. So I think this neighborhood in particular, it really was like a little village. We watched out for each other's children, you know, and um, we try not to have them exposed to to the rougher part of, you know, there's a lot of rough edges in Oakland that, um, you know, we didn't encourage them to go into areas that we thought might not be safe. And and uh, and my kids always went in groups, you know, with each other or with their neighbors. So, you know, uh, there were very few times that I could say, oh, I wish we hadn't moved back into Oakland. There were very few times. And, and those times were always because of maybe some incident that, that would cause some harm to my children. What, what were, if when you look back, what were the three most important things you wanted to teach the kids growing up, your children growing up? If you, if you, in, in retrospect, when you look back on life, what are the, th the three things that you wanted to give them? I think, uh, as when I was growing up again, it, it reflects all back to how I went. Respect was probably one of the biggest things that they were to be respectful to their dad, respectful to me, uh, to the neighbors, to one another. And sure enough, I mean, they were all different temperaments. They all had uh, uh, they would have their little disagreements. But really, they, there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of bickering and fighting. And and it, it was like a little slice of society because they were already learning to live with different temperaments under one roof. And uh, so that really prepared them for going out into, into the world because when you're in a workplace, you're working with a lot of different temperaments and personalities. And, and somehow if you grew up learning how to, to work those things out, then it made your life as an adult easier. So respect and also to do their best. I didn't expect everybody to make A's but I, we did, my husband and I did expect them to do the best that they could, the best of their ability. Um, Those were two. I don't know what the third one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the what's third the third one? one? Yeah, well, I, I think to take on some responsibilities within the family too, you know, to help us out. Uh, everybody did yard work. We had a victory. We also had like a vegetable garden and flowers and plants that everybody had to pitch in with cleaning house in their rooms uh, when they came home, change out of their uniform so their uniform would last longer and 
you know, change into play clothes. Um, by that time I had their clothes folded, they could take their little bucket of clean clothes upstairs and put them in the dresser. So uh, they had to, they had to take their little responsibilities here. And uh, uh, again, um, that was an important thing for my husband and I, that the kids would be respectful, uh, do the best they could in school and, and also to, to be responsible. I think I'm going to give you an obvious one um, that I think that you always emphasize uh, you and your husband um, would emphasize is to have faith in God as well. And I think, or, and, and it yeah. could be, and, and, you know, and, and I don't think you ever said it had to be uh, a specific one. You always just said to believe in, in a higher power or somebody else that, yeah. that to have faith in. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you that. That's another one that you, that you've articulated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and the other, the that question I have is how did you, how did you um, take care of yourself when you were raising the kids? How did you, what did you do to nurture yourself then? And then what do you do to nurture yourself now? Because one of the things I always have known about you I, I can't think of a time where you weren't trying to better yourself. Um, you, you didn't have a lot of money. You didn't go to a, a big university or a college or anything like that. But you, one of the things that you always have tried to do is you always were reading. You were always, you know, going to sh shows or Broadway shows or whatever you could, um, watching documentaries. When you were, when you were raising a family. Did you do those kind of things? What kind of things did you do then? And then what kind of things are you do, you do now? Well, again, reflect back to the basics of when I was growing up. My mother always had, she was an excellent seamstress. So I learned to sew from her. So I was able to do some sewing for my, especially for my girls um, and myself. And uh, and she always had hobbies. She always had her, her garden, her flowers. Uh, embroidery. She so, so I I also grew up having hobbies, and I continue to do. That was a little outlet for me. I learned how to quilt, and so when the kids are taking a nap, I would take one hour to do something by hand that was creative, and that would give me that uplift. And and uh, yeah, I look I look forward to that every time, every day, or or a little one hour reading. Uh, and that would that would be that would be enough for me to uplift me for the day. That kept me going. And what about now? I still do. I paint rocks. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> I I I embroidered a lot. I quilted a lot. Uh, I made church banners. Um, yeah, I always had. I love. I like being creative. And my I know mother I, taught me that. My mother I, taught me that. And I know you're still very much involved in the church and doing a lot of stuff with the church. And I think that's been a, a, a life. down. A, a, a <laughs> I life, have slowed a, down. <laughs> a, a lifelong, a lifelong, um, you know, this, yeah. one of those uh, vocations that you always had an advocation, I guess. But um, when you look back, when you look back at your life, you know, as a mom, um, how do you think you did as a parent? Oh, you look back and you think, gee, I probably should have done this and I should have done that. But, you know, when I was a senior in high school, uh, one of the subjects I was I was supposed to take was home economics. 
And that was like natural because it was so easy. The class was so easy because we were practicing that at home with my mom and dad, cooking and, you know, doing the upkeep of a home, raising, we had little, little portions of child psychology and, and uh, all of that. And, and I won the award for home ec and I thought, I don't just, Deserve it because I didn't work hard at it because this is what I was raised to do, and so uh, even that I thought of that many times when I was doing anything in the house. I I thought about that home ec class. I thought, boy, that really did come in handy after all. But uh, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, I, I I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the kids interests i i would get interested in what they were interested in and so it, it opened a lot of doors for me like i say uh, uh one thing we all shared was that stamp collection all of us had a stamp book and we'd all exchange around the dining room table and we we learned a lot of, of geography about history at that time and it was fascinating and i learned a lot about the animals that that my daughter would bring home and uh, um and even their little collection of cars and all of that. I, it was it was a learning thing for my husband and I. We really enjoyed it. We did. We really enjoyed it. We really enjoyed so it. Was it, never was, it was it difficult to manage all the personalities and, you know, everybody, you know, I'm sure it wasn't like, you know, a smooth all the time, obviously, but how did you manage all the different personalities? Because everybody was at different places. And how did you manage all that? I mean, were there times you're like, I don't know what to do with this? And, or, I mean, how did you navigate through that? Well, many times I would just compare. I thought, geez, this child's a lot like my older brother. And I know how my older brother would, would do this or that. Then, oh, no, this one is like my other brother. That So I, I was always kind of, I was able to kind of relate to, my own brothers or my cousins, like the personalities. And, and uh, I, it was, it was interesting. It was more or less that the kids would understand each other and try to get along with each other. But really they, we really didn't have a lot of bickering with the kids, you know, a lot of, um, they, they always had a, pla a class, I mean, a playmate. They never got lonely. There was always somebody who would, would play a board game with them or, or play something with them, you know? So yeah, they never were lonely. The only yeah, hard time I, is when they all got sick. <laughs> that would be the hardest time of, of well, yeah. life. Yeah, that would be, yeah. that would be the hardest time. <laughs> and I remember they, 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 you had a back house and I know that one of your kids rented that back house. And I recall that, that, that back unit was falling apart and, um, oh. And and one of the times, uh, he, he felt he he no longer wanted to live there anymore because one day he he woke up and there was a there was an actual mouse, mouse. sleeping on his a, she was sleeping on his chest. And oh, that was that kind of blanket. Yeah, that yeah that kind of ended that that experiment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he thought he was he was uh, he was seventeen. He felt so cool and uh, that he had the cottage in the back and until that and and then sometimes the snails made it through <laughs> through into his shoes <laughs> yeah that that kind of ended that cool feeling of having can i move back in the house you're welcome <laughs> yeah the um, back, back you, house is still a, a place of ridicule <laughs> when, uh, 
when you think about um, some of the, some of the, I mean, I think all of, all of your kids have done, they were doing all types of stuff. And um, a lot of the, I think most of the kids in the family have done, have, they've done something service oriented. When I think about it, everybody in the family Absolutely. has done some service oriented job. Absolutely. Um, do you ever think about that? And, um, you know, do you ever think about, um, you know, some of the some of the impact that that you made in raising your kids and do you ever do you ever uh i know i i'm gonna bring this again bring this up again that some people said hey do you ever regret having those nine kids in retrospect oh, no. what do you think about that oh no no everyone that was born was meant to be here and to do something on this earth to make it a better place and i remember when one of my sons graduated um the night of graduation took place in church and I walked in and I was so impressed. They had um, they had eight flags of different nations on each side of the altar. And that represented all the nationalities of just that, that senior class. And I thought, look at this beautiful diversity that the school, imagine 16, to have 16 different cultures in one graduating class. And my children learned about the cultures of others just by being in school with one another and sharing their stories. And it was kind of like a celebration of the different nationalities. And what impressed me the most is when the principal spoke and he said, your children are graduating and we have worked so hard with the parents to graduate children who are going to be servers and not takers. And he says, that's the ultimate goal. People who are going to go out and serve the world and not the ones who are going to just be taking. So, and I thought he really expressed in that one sentence exactly how my husband and I felt. What advice would you give if you could give uh, mothers that are struggling or, you know, it's tough, you know, to raise a family or, you know, what advice would you give um, the moms out there, you know, that are saying, oh, man, did I, I, did I get myself into too much or, you know, how do I get through this? What advice would you give them? You know, you just kind of try to handle one day at a time. You know, you just try to handle one day at a time. Do your best. And sometimes you'll make mistakes and you think, OK, I won't make that mistake again. So you're learning along with your children you're learning you're growing with them you're maturing as they grow and you know when you're a parent for the first time you've never been a parent before so it's all new it's all new and so um so that's uh oh dear. so um but anyway uh i felt i was growing with them i was learning through their hobbies through their interests they opened up like the world to me because of their individual hobbies. And I remember when you were in school, you had an excellent uh, English teacher, Mr. Mr. Ledich, that I don't know how it came up that uh, somehow you brought up what your favorite author was. And a few days later uh, on the, <clears throat> on our front porch was a shoebox filled with paperbacks of that author all the books that he had written. And I just, that just moved me so much that that teacher took such interest in you, Martin, 
because he knew you were such an avid reader and you were just hungry to learn more. And, and, uh, uh, you know, people come into your lives and to your family that really like this was so supportive, so supportive. So you're not alone. My neighbors were supportive of one another. I helped to support them. And, um, and then look at the teachers, the teachers in all of your lives. And I'm sure everybody had a favorite teacher that felt made a big difference in their life. And I, with Mr. Ledich, I know for you, that was definitely, um, definitely a, a, a wonderful thing. Yeah. And it's interesting. He was at, a, you know, the Oakland public schools at the time, I mean, they were struggling. They, they weren't, they weren't academically in high astute in, in the Bay area, but he was a, a real amazing teacher that impacted a lot of people because he had such, he had such passion for what he was teaching. He, he really um, took an interest in all the students. Yes. So, so, um, what's, what's, what, what kind of activities do you like to do now? There's a lot left for you to do. And I know you've raised these, these nine kids and what kind of activities do you know? You, I know you're still involved with the church. What are the stuff, what is your typical, your hobbies like now? Well, here at home, I love, I still enjoy live, listening to music. I, I love Broadway music. I like Latin. I love music. And so that's a part of my everyday here at home. Um, I learned to play guitar a long time ago when my husband was playing guitar at church. Uh, I was able to to do that with him for a while. And then uh, and a few years ago, I tried to teach myself to play ukulele, not for anybody else, but just my own entertainment. And so many times I sit in my room and I play some of my favorite songs. And that's uh, um, I'm not as active in churches as I used to be, but um, but I still try to attend everything and and uh, um, yeah. So and I try to be there for my all the married children and the grandchildren and and uh, uh, great grandchildren. So uh, the family is uh, has grown and and um, and it's a joy when we take a family photo of like all the children, grandchildren, and the family gathers. Like wow, you know, look what we started. <laughs> Well, population I, I have, here. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, thank you. You know, it's always a joy to have, you know, to all the all the moms out there in the world that that do such an amazing um, job and a difficult job It's probably the most difficult job you can have is, you know, raising your kids. And, you know, and, and part of the reason that I, I appreciate Jessica bringing this up is because this this podcast really is a celebration of all the moms in the world that work so hard. And a lot of times the unsung heroes in a lot of ways, because, um, you know, so many people have so much going on in their life and so many challenges, but moms always step up to the plate and are always there for their kids. And I just want to tell you, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast today. And Thank you. Yeah, and for appreciate all. Me, I, I, I appreciate all the work you've done to, to, uh, to raise us, but you know, to be an example to others as well. And, and again, this is a, this is in some ways a homage to all the moms out there, the, the, the Jessicas and Jennifers and, and all those wonderful people that I know out there that are doing amazing things and moms to come, and then yes. stepmoms and uh, and all the women out there that are doing amazing things, helping to raise people, raise raise kids, and uh, yeah. raise friends of family and so forth. So, thank you for being here. And 
join us for our next podcast. And thank you so much, uh, Miss Gloria Figueroa, for being on here. And until next time, (laughs) until next time, until our next great guest, keep learning and see you next time. All right. Thank you, Martin. Take care. God bless. (laughs)